0: Old man winter is here. Are your outdated windows ready? Renewal by Anderson, the winter window installation experts use Fibrex windows, which are two times stronger than vinyl and are watertight to keep winter's draft outside. Most installs can be completed within a day.
1: Take advantage of our limited time offer and buy one replacement window or patio door, get one 40% off. Plus, no money down, no payments, and no interest for 12 months. Schedule your complimentary design consultation online at RenewalWindowsAlaska.com. Restrictions apply.
0: Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash Media.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. We are joined by Mary England from On The Land from Sulacoat, Ontario. How are you doing today, Mary?
2: Hello, Dan. I'm doing really well. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, get talking about uh, mushing and how you got started. I know you competed in the Ten Dog Canadian Challenge this past year with a yearling team, and we're certainly going to jump into all of that fun. <laughs> uh, but I want to get started hearing a little bit about how you got started in mushing, maybe a first mushing experience or your first memory from it, or you know, something that really stands out to you in the beginning.
2: Sure. Well, um, I'm, a, I'm late to mushing. I grew up in a fairly ordinary mid-sized city in Southern Alberta where the snow only lasts for a few days before the Chinook winds blow it away. And, um and then went off to study university after high school. And it wasn't until finishing all my school stuff and education coming to Sioux Lookout that I actually went mushing. Um, And actually, it was years before I met Jesse, but I went mushing with Jesse as the only tourist provider in Sioux Lookout. Um, And so that's where I met my future husband was, uh, was out with the dogs um, and I don't know if I fell in love with the dogs or Jesse or, or what, but <laughs> anyways, uh, it was, it was definitely, um, I joined mushing and joined on the land by marrying into it. Um, I joke that I married a man with baggage, 28 dogs and two kids. Um, and then I gladly took it on and it's become a major part of my life ever since then. But I, I do remember. Meeting like throughout my education and and uh, summer jobs, tree planting. There was always a yearning for something that I wasn't getting through the traditional career path. I wanted to be spending time outdoors and wanting to be pushing myself in a in a physical way that that wasn't afforded to me of school and and I didn't really know. I wasn't finding my steps of where that was throughout and, you know, trying these long hikes or trying long distance biking and all these kind of physical and explorations, um, activities, but falling into mushing and and joining Jesse with his kennel, it's just been all of the pieces coming together of what, what I enjoy, um, being on the land and around other creatures and caring for them and, um pushing myself. You know, it all it all is in mushing. And I have never found it in any other activity. So it's just kind of like the culmination of of something that was missing in my life for many years.
1: Such a wonderful introduction and, <laughs> and story that uh you know maybe you know people don't know. Um, so how long ago was that? How long did you, ago was it that you got into mushing or met Jesse?
2: Right. So I moved to Sulukao seven years ago now. Um, went for that first like two hour dog mushing experience with my mom visiting. And um, and then it wasn't a few years later that Jesse and I actually connected and, and um, I married him. We married each other a few years later. So that was. Like, we, yeah, I've been joining him in the kennel work for four years now. Um, and the first year it was really, like, as anybody who started off knows, uh, you, you know, it's a lot of learning. The learning curve is so huge. How to, you know, the little things like how to hook up a dog with those weird bull clips, you know. <laughs> I didn't even know how to do that. So, the first year I was very much learning all the basics and it wasn't until the second year that I was feeling confident enough to go out on my own and start training a team of my own um and then uh came the Canadian challenge that would have been the third year that I was actually mushing and um and then from there on yeah just just kept going with it training my own team and and slowly but surely feeling more independent with it. But I don't know if that feeling of, of uh, total independence ever comes. Maybe it does to some people, but I always feel like I'm, I'm still learning.
1: I think that's the mentality from everyone. There's always yeah. something to learn and always yeah. something different. Because as you know, and everybody else listening knows, every dog is different and how to get the best out of them is uh, a constant challenge some days. Oh, so, it's,
2: yeah, it's huge. Yeah.
1: So would you do your first race be the Canadian Challenge in 2020?
2: It was, yeah. And that was, I mean, that was so nerve-wracking. It was, oh, I trained that season, and we had bought a, a dog from Jason Campo, who had been to the Canadian Challenge several times, he and his wife, and, um, and and I really do attribute my success, mushing and feeling good about that first year, to this dog, Copenhagen, who is now our old couch dog, um, but he was a solid leader and solid sled dog who just kept... Me in check and kept the confidence up and the the team moving forward um, and so I really do oh I feel like the success of of my mushing career to that dog um, I put a lot in him because because I know I, I felt like it was a bit of a vulnerable time getting into it by myself and um, and having that creature in front who who really knew what he was doing I think gave me the the success of that first year for sure
1: well i've been told that uh that first really good lead dog teaches the musher as much as they teach the dog so did you find that to be true
2: not as much but 90 percent me learning from that from those that team right like i i am by far the weakest link jesse says that often and and i um I feel it strongly, especially on that first rookie race. Um, those dogs knew what they were doing so much more than I knew what I was doing, <laughs> and so you know they we just bumbled on and they were resilient enough to just keep going and i had I had some leader troubles had to drop my my other leader, but copes was such a solid driving dog that it didn't matter who I put next to him. he just kept on going and um yeah, it was just really special, and and now he's our he's our little couch appendage. He's gotten old suddenly, and and he's I just love him to bits. Seeing him every day and thinking of what he's he's uh, enabled me to to take part in from there, confidence with mushing and key and and learning so much. Yeah, wow. it's
1: pretty. When neat. it was such a different race uh you know just just 3 years ago i mean you competed in the 8 dog race mm-hmm. which uh on that particular year was 178 miles
0: you know mm-hmm. quite a bit
1: more than what uh what we have today uh is there something that comes back to you from that race aside from copenhagen that you remember <laughs> or that that's memorable
2: oh yeah so much it, i mean i think about it now and i'm just grinning from ear to ear it was it was just thrilling the whole thing i i remember being at the back of the pack throughout the whole race and and not just the back of the pack but very much at the back of the pack but sid robinson who was um as as you most people who will be listening to this know he's been racing for many years and has been the proud winner of the the um red lantern award for for many years, and, and we were competing for the Red Lantern very viciously throughout that race. Um, but I do, what what was really memorable is we were kind of bunny hopping each other, frog leaping each other down the trail, and every time he passed me, uh, or I passed, or he was always passing me, actually, he would stop and check in and give me some words of encouragement, and yeah, just being there with him on that race made it so fun, and Sid, yeah, I, I just remember his presence as, as being um delightful. Meeting him in these beautiful landscapes, all of a sudden seeing his team and knowing that that there's somebody out there with me at the back of the pack was really great. And and another I mean, everybody knows the wall and and it was funny, the second time racing I was so nervous to and to approach the wall because of the first year's experience with a team that just stopped at the bottom of it and and didn't want to proceed up the wall and and just sitting there and trying to figure out how to haul everybody up and my sled up this short but steep section and having to unhook the team and carry the dogs up and hook them up and take my sled apart and carry up the pieces one at a time and not the pieces of the sled but the contents of the sled Um, and spending probably three or four hours there maybe yeah up to up to four hours for sure so that was that was a little demoralizing and so coming up to it again I was so nervous Uh, but when the dog sailed up and over it no problem I thought holy shit there you go (laughs) this is how it's done
1: can you describe this wall for those that uh that haven't seen it or haven't been able to experience it uh in a couple different ways as you have
2: sure well I mean one word that comes to mind is absurd because no offense to the trail makers but there are many ways over this little ridge rather than going directly up it um in terms of trail making (laughs) but but no I joke um it, it what it is is you just come turn the corner into the bush from the highway section, and all of a sudden there's a stretch of maybe two hundred meters of, of really steep trail. Not even two hundred meters, maybe just fifty meters. I am bad at judging distances, um, but it just goes suddenly steep. You know, it takes the dogs, the good. 20 to 30 seconds to haul up it's pure lifting and running and and then you're over before you know it but it really is a, a gentle cliff is how i'd, I'd call it
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: it's a great way to explain it a gentle right. cliff right. i like it well and that's why we call it the canadian challenge because you have to have some adversity out there because we don't have big mountains that you find in other races
2: yeah, and I I recognize that's the reason why it's there, and it, and it is a really good um little little challenging section that you need a good team to haul yourself up and over, and and so it was really neat to experience both ends of that one that sailed up and over, and then the first time having to having to coax and lift and haul and <laughs> yeah. play the mind yeah, game love- of not letting it not letting it
1: beat me <laughs> yes and if it makes you feel better you are not the only person that has had to carry your dogs up that section of trail there have been several others yeah that i so, won't mention here but perhaps we'll hear them on a future episode so
2: i hear uh, yeah
1: <gasps> if we can shift a little towards you know this past year at the canadian challenge i know both you and jesse brought a team um jesse sort of brought that the a team and you were looking after the yearlings can you tell us a little about that yearling team who you had on it or any that uh you were really excited to see on the trail
2: Mm, yeah absolutely so we had yeah like you said we had two teams and i'd been training the, the yearling team so there there was a couple litters that or we had two really small litters um the year before, so we so were re- running those pups for the first time, um, and and along with you know a couple other dogs that we got from really small puppy years or puppyhood from other mushers, um, and then yeah, there was a couple of old veteran, older veteran leaders that I had, Weenusk, who has been jesse's main dog for for years. She's Let's see, now she is going to be 10 this year. Um, And then Hera, who's a dog, again, from Campos, um, who's a solid little lead dog. And then the rest of the team was just these young ones. So so it was really quite an immature team. I'd never run a race with yearlings before, never actually trained a yearling team before. So this was all really new territory for both Jesse and I. This is our first time both having having this uh, division of teams like this, and the yearlings. I mean, they're it's a different kind of experience, and and I remember them seeming so strong and, and thinking like, oh my gosh, I know I'm not going to win or come close to winning, but at least I'll be keeping up with the pack and seeing their strength and running smooth and resting well for the first two thirds of the race. Um, and then, and then they tuckered out and, and it was actually a real struggle to get to that, uh, third, that second last checkpoint. So the um, I'm calling it Manaki, but, uh, Musen, thinking of all these other names around Missinippi. Missinippi, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Getting to Missinippi was, um, at, three four in the morning on that super cold night was a challenge I was having to run up in front of them and coax them along and um wasn't sure you know my mind wasn't really working as it should have I think late at night hallucinating with the northern lights and thinking I just need to get to Missinippi, just need to get there but what I should have done is just stopped and camped because I think those dogs they were telling me they were tired that they needed a break and and I made a mistake. I was focused on getting to the checkpoint and knowing there would be a nice long break there. Um and well, we got to the checkpoint and we rested a really long time and I thought they'd be okay to go back, but psychologically they weren't. And we tried making it down the trail and, and they told me very clearly that that there was no desire to go to go on down the trail, even though By the time we turned it around, it would have almost been as quick to make it to the finish line as it would have been to turn back around to the checkpoint. (laughs) But but alas, they they told me they didn't want to go further. So we turned around and and had to scratch. Um, But it was the best learning experience for me and talking with other mushers, especially with Remy and talking with Jesse afterwards as well. What, what you learn from a race like that is how to read a team and, and how to give them what they need before they need it. Um, and how a yearling team is so different from an adult team. And, and I, I didn't really realize that going into it. I kind of assumed they'd be just a bit slower than an adult team, but it's not. They're very different uh, approach to, do, to deal with that.
1: It sounds like a different um, management approach. Uh, Mm -hmm. is is what's necessary so I'm gonna back up a little so we can cover a little more of the race because I know some of the fans like to hear a little bit different um, from just the the real exciting parts so how do you sort of get the team ready after you've arrived at the start what is that sort of process like for Mm -hmm. you not just what are you doing but what does it feel like
2: Oh, it's all, it's all nervous energy. I mean, I think everybody feels it and the dogs are like, are almost certainly feeling it, um, as they're so perceptive to these kind of emotional, um, influences. So we, we like to keep them in the trailer as long as possible because that's their safe spot and their resting spot. And then when we know that while while they're resting, we're gathering our gear and making the mental checklists and, you know, just t- timing our activities so that we're not going to be late. And, um, and then at the last minute, bringing the dogs out and, uh, you know, getting them bootied up and harnessed up and attached to the gangline. You just want to be doing that all kind of at the very end, even though it really is exciting to have people come by and visit. And I get sidetracked. I really like to chat with people coming by and introduce them to the dogs. I had to really hold myself in and say like focus Mary focus you know I have work to do here um the the first time we raced you know Jesse and I were, were a little scrambly and ra- and racing against time and that was so stressful and so the second you know the next time we came to the challenge we gave ourselves lots of time and it was such an enjoyable time getting the teams ready and Jesse's son Tiva was was our our handler helping out um, as well as his dad Tom. Uh, so yeah, the beginning of the race is emotion emotion management <laughs> and mental checklists. yeah
1: Okay, so this year was a little different for you. Uh, I know Jesse was out of the shoot first, and mm-hmm. you went to shoot last. So you know, I know a lot of excitement, Jesse going out, his team going out, and then you were there, the last team out of the shoot. What was it like? Letting go of the hook, firing off down the little alley that we have there as you get started into the trail. What's that feel like for you? Oh,
2: it's so exhilarating, and and mushing, like coming to these races is such a culmination of of energy and effort, and I find it really quite emotional. I get um, not overwhelmed, but just like, yeah, it, it means a lot to be making it to a, a race and to a start line. Um, it means a lot to have friends travel from from all over. I had really good friends from Saskatoon from years back join to watch. And then those kind of things just, just mean so much. And I think that making it to a race represents hundreds and hundreds of hours of training. And you realize it as you watch the smooth team and their strength. And you know that you're going to be in for a a good race and a long race and a hard race, but that confidence is there. Um, It it just, all of those emotions are swirling around. Um, I I feel a a deep love for the dogs when I'm watching them get so excited and, and, and just almost, almost envious of, of that kind of energy that, that they have. And, and, and grateful to be part of that, part of the team that, that they're, that, that that is the whole unit of of dogs and musher so it's just a beautiful feeling and I like being last actually I like it knowing that it doesn't matter at the end of the day where you are but I could just kind of start my race on my own time and and I like the feeling of of um I don't know of of catch uh, of just following the trail, <laughs> following the other mushers down the trail is fine by me. I'm okay being, being leaving the chute last.
1: Well, at the, the start, you have, uh, you know, a section in the ditch and then we kind of come off the ditch a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but you got a solid 50 mile run to the first checkpoint, which was Weakwin. You know, I know distances are hard to tell, but mm-hmm. is there a point during that first run where you feel like everybody's sort of settled in you know, everybody's where we need them to be. Did that happen for you? And if so, is there a point along the trail it did happen?
2: Oh, absolutely. It, it happened. Oh, within the first, you know, 15 miles, I'd say it it just felt like they had reached their groove. We're at a pace that felt, felt at the time sustainable. I think in retrospect, it was a little fast and I, and I should have slowed them down, but there was a moment, you know, coming into work went through the, through the burn. And it was, um, it was just a stunning landscape, seeing the trees go by and the dusky sun and coming into that checkpoint through the winding, uh, through the winding trail. It was, it was just stunning and seeing the strength of the dogs plowing forward and through the trees and being able to see the full team around the corners yeah that was the moment that was the peak moment in the race where i felt invincible
1: yeah well and and then from weaquin you know we put um unfortunately with overflow had to push some dogs into trucks and and drive them down to the next checkpoint uh and so leaving that 969 checkpoint did you feel the same way about the dogs? Were they doing as well as you thought, or better? Yeah,
2: they were doing better than I thought. And again, like I say this, but in retrospect, I was not reading them well. They were they're jacked up teenagers, right? Like rearing to go, and don't know when to slow down or how to slow down or pace themselves. And and I and I didn't read those signs that um, that I that I should arrested longer at that truck checkpoint and at nine six nine. Um, and you know, so we left there just looking like a million bucks. And I thought that's when I thought, okay, I could actually kind of keep up to the pack. And that was my, that was like the moment of, of, uh, what would you call it? Like of, of false confidence. Like, yeah, the team looked fantastic at that point. Um, and I felt like they looked, they were starting to show signs of looking a little slower getting into la range but still i I felt like at that point they were they were um doing really well and and that the long rest in la range would be enough to keep them going Uh, but again it was a it was a mistake and a a yearling team management issue where yeah it it would have been the prudent thing to rest longer at 969 and do a a, do a slower race to la range and um you know even sometimes I feel like definitely breaking the Larange to Missinippi into two runs and having a camp out on the on the land would have been the right thing to do but uh, yeah there were the first like I said the first two thirds of the race was we were flying we were we were just feeling
1: invincible <laughs> that elusive magic carpet ride
2: exactly. <laughs> oh it was so it was a really humbling experience too, and I know that's a bit of a cliche, but it sure was and and i I told a lot of people and I really mean it that the the scratch was the best thing that could have happened um I felt like that whole race I learned so much more on that race than I did on other on the previous race and um yeah, I think that it it was by far the best the best thing that could have happened to me at this stage I feel like of my of my own training
1: Well, that's wonderful I, I know that uh you know that that first um that first night really uh you know getting into La Ronge, you know very cold I know we're in the minus 30 something um you know was there any impact that you saw to the dogs did they seem affected by the cold or was it just you
2: yeah I really think that with good dog care, the dogs thrive in, in colder conditions. Like they, certainly there is, um, it, it is harder on them at, at break, you know, having to make sure that they're, they're bundled up and warm and getting the calories in them. So um, it does take some more attention, but Psychologically, it's harder on the musher, and we're we definitely become the the weaker one when it's minus forty, minus forty five. Um, you know that the dogs seem to manage it very well. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's it's tough to say. I mean, yeah, that was that was my sense is that that I was the problem. That that definitely the the cold affected the human more than the dogs.
1: Well, I think mentally as well, as you come through the trees and come onto the lake, you know, you start to see the lights, but you still have a long ways to go uh, at that point. It really starts to play with uh, the mental aspect a little more. But yeah, um, so yeah. Then got into the Range, big rest, you know, lots of food for dogs and mushers. Uh, and then you tear off towards Missinippi. you know, another 50 mile leg, Um you know, is there anything aside from you know having to coax the dogs a little that stood out on that portion?
2: Oh, I mean, that portion was just stunning. It's my first time north of Laurentide on, on the landscape that's shield and lakes, and those Portage trails are are unbelievably beautiful, and um, you know the the trail makers are are just need a real shout out for for the effort that goes into building those trails. Um yeah, so so I just remember loving those portage routes, just having so much fun and and as it it, it became dark quite soon like most of the race was nighttime for me and the northern lights were really shining hard that night and and the sky was dancing and I was so very sleep deprived and hallucinating in whatever ways that mushers do along the way. And and I started feeling like it was a tough time of the race, you know, maybe about 20 miles, 25 miles out of La Ronge. I'm oh, sorry, out of Mississippi, when the, the dog started slowing down and the leader started, you know, giving me giving me a little bit of messaging that they didn't want to keep going and yeah that was that was a hard moment that was the pit of the race for sure where you know I think what the hell's happening out here you know I've got a team of dogs who don't want to go forward it's minus 45 sitting on the open ice certainly doesn't seem like a great place to camp but again like these are the experiences I think that that have to happen to to really build confidence in team management and um yeah in in retrospect I wish I would have camped I wish I would have laid out some some beds for them and fed them a hot meal and rested up and um but but we just I, I just kind of kept pushing them and got to the Mississippi checkpoint okay but it, but I think at at the cost of the race at that point
1: a challenging time for sure I know Uh, I was in the Mississippi checkpoint when when you were on the way and we were looking forward to having you show up. And I know Jesse was getting his team ready to go, fed, bootied, hooked up and everything. And I'm going, please, Mary, just just come now or wait because I don't (laughs) want to have to do a head-on pass in town on the road. And uh, it just happened to be that Jesse said – I'm not waiting I'm going and I said well I think she's on the lake so you'll pass her out there somewhere Mm -hmm. and you know down that little back alley we had you pass by um so what was it like to see Jesse to get those words of encouragement if you remember them uh and to have a nice straw bed and some extra snacks laid out for your team when you got there
2: oh it's just so great I mean Seeing Jesse out there thriving is so awesome, right? He's He just is in his element and he could see it, right? Like how efficient he is with his movements and how much how much joy he has in just being focused and and bringing that team to the best of their, you know, just t- bringing out the best in the team. And, and I could see he was in go mode and he's not romantic when he's in go mode. There's no like stop for some little romance kiss or anything like that it's pure focus which is what I love about him too and um, anyway so seeing I I just saw that that he was in the zone and I was so happy for him and seeing that his team looked beautiful um, it, it was really really cool to see I was a little bit you know bummed that my team wasn't quite as as robust but I was confident that this this checkpoint was going to bring them to a point of uh, of being able to make it back yeah it was really neat it's really neat doing this with with your husband and uh, being being out there together and yeah it, I, I don't know how to describe it really yeah it's pretty awesome <laughs>
0: Well,
1: we just have to get some more people to try it out so they can experience it for themselves. (laughs) Uh, So I want to ask our social media question, which Mm -hmm. comes from Sue B. and she wants to know about the dogs. Who surprised you the most as they were growing into their place on the team? And that Mm. could be your yearling team you had compared to how they are now or Mm. any other dog you've seen.
2: Oh geez, that's an excellent question. Um there's so many different ways a dog will surprise you. I mean, I think that the the yearling team at that stage, the the ones who were res, were resilient and, and and like not showing signs of fatigue really stood out at that moment, but you know, those would be the dogs that are maybe sooner to mature and the ones who um were less strong during that first year. I see them maturing now. And that brings such joy to see those, those weaker dogs kind of growing into their, into a, into a mature and strong dog now, two years later, instead of at the one year mark. And anyway, so I think the dog that stood out at that race would have been this little one Hook. She's, uh, she was a singleton litter from Copenhagen and and jazz and she moves like copes i I mean obviously i have a love affair with copes as you can tell (laughs) but she moves like him and she works hard like him and she's enthusiastic and and she just kept this bouncy energy throughout the whole race and and i was so impressed with her bouncing down the trail um but seeing the dogs who were you know like this year seeing some of these these dogs come into themselves a little bit more i think wow you know every dog is so different and you know, Some might take several years to get it to that point, And other dogs who do it sooner, it doesn't mean they're better dogs. It just means they mature sooner. So it's really interesting to see a team grow.
1: So you and those dogs will continue on with you, uh, be on your race team for this coming season?
2: Mm, yeah, so I get the yearling team again. I really wanted to race another yearling team and, and, and do it right. So we have, um, there's four, let's see, five we we're training jesse's training some of the two-year-olds on on the adult team now so flint and chert and hook are are kind of he's he's training some of them not sure if they'll make the team and if they if they do that's great and if they don't then then they'll be ready for the yearling race um we've got five new yearlings so so it's again a super immature team um Yeah. So it's, it's going to be really fun. The yearlings that we have now compared to the ones from last year, they seem a lot more mature they're like these old wise creatures out there when I'm like, "Ah, look at you guys, you're only, you know, a year and a half old now and looking like an old veteran already. It's, it's, it's really neat to see the difference.
1: So can you share a little about your race plans for this Mm. uh, upcoming season I don't want you to have to play all the cards, but if you can share a little, I know we'd be appreciated.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, we're we're struggling a little bit to know what to do. Jesse is definitely going to do the bear grease. In fact, we we signed up today for the bear grease. Um, last year he scratched that race and is really excited to fin it, to to race it and and get to that finish line. So that's one. Um, and then we're We're at a point right now where we're not just kind of thinking of sticking closer to home. That would mean going, staying in the American races, going to the upper peninsula, the UP 200, um, which would conflict with the Canadian challenge. And so not end up, unfortunately, not going to the Canadian challenge. Um, And part, one of the reasons for that is just kind of a being exposed to a larger pool of mushers and, different, just kind of, that's how, when you live in an isolated place like Northern Ontario without any mushers, it's at these races that you get mentorship and you get ideas. And and I really saw that uh, at the Canadian Challenge is, is how much learning happens at these races. And I, and I think Jesse, especially, and I am too, but excited to just kind of see what different mushers bring to the table, ones that we're not familiar with and some of these American mushers who come up to those races so yeah that's our tentative plan is to do the up and and the bear grease i don't know if i'm going to run a hunt the 100 mile race of the bear grease yet we have to kind of play it play it by ear
1: yeah well the bear grease is probably the closest distance race to where you are
2: yeah it's only a 10 and 10 hour drive about so yeah, we're we're pretty far from most places, but definitely Minnesota and and the, the upper peninsula are closer than northern Saskatchewan. Although the northern Saskatchewan it, it it's the Canadian challenge is kind of like this. But I oh, I just find it such a beautiful race. <laughs> it doesn't if we don't go this year, it means I'm we're going next year because I, I don't want to been too many years not meeting up with all, all of the people there.
1: Well, it certainly would keep with your history. I mean, in 20, you did the eight dog in 22, you did the 10 dog. So perhaps we have to wait until 24 to see you oh, back again. Sad. But you know, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that um, you have a full time job. And so how do you manage, you know, the dog care and all the training to do these races and have a full-time job
2: it's it's a a balance I haven't quite struck um you know last year I was on medical leave I had gotten treatment for breast cancer and and had kind of was finishing up chemo and radiation during the dog training time and and was was doing really well with treatments and so had 100% 100% free time, basically, to, to do dog work and, and was just thrilled to, to be doing it full-time. And this year, I'm back at work um, as a as a family doctor in a small town where there's, there's a, a constant struggle of wanting to work more because the community needs it, but also really not wanting to work more <laughs> and spending time with dogs. So, yeah, we right now, it's kind of like, I think that's the biggest limiting factor to sign for myself to sign up for more than one race would just be the training hours um, that are not quite there with being back at work. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer um, working, I would like to not work (laughs) and just train dogs. Um, But but this is a the present moment for the first year, maybe this year, maybe next, kind of having to do it and then think about taking winters off um, in order to train more full time.
1: Exciting. Um, I know. Obviously you have some help from family and, and of course, Jesse, is there anybody in particular you'd like to thank?
2: Oh, I mean, like being able to join Jesse and his family who have been doing this dog work for years like Jesse's had dogs since he was a teenager I mean I just feel like the luckiest person in the world and um yeah so I mean to thank Jesse for coaching me along and introducing me and and Tom for kind of making space for me to come into the dog world he was training uh with Jesse before I showed up and then just kind of we've we've had this you know, gradual shift where where Tom has been helping out with the dogs considerably, um, but doing a little less of the day to day training. And so, just to thank him for making space for me to be able to do this, and Kanina and Carol, Jesse's sister and mom, who keep keep everything going at the house and help out with the dogs as well. It's a real family affair. Like, yeah, it's quite it's quite an awesome little setup that we've got and couldn't think of a, a better place to live.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, so anybody that's looking to follow you or Jesse or the kennel, um, obviously we'll include any of your, uh, information in the show notes below, but if you want to give the little spiel for social media, Facebook, whatever you uh, right. use,
2: at this age, we're we're not super media savvy. We have a Facebook account on the land. Oh, gosh, I don't even know what it's called. On the land. But Jesse's main, he posts mainly just to his personal Facebook page, Jesse Terry. But, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of slow off the mark to get our kennel presence out on the inter, internet land. <laughs> but it'll come.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly uh, get some of those links from you and we'll put them down mm-hmm. in the show notes below. I know we'll be looking for, um, you know, s- some people will be looking for pictures and whatnot as they try to put a, a face to a name and a voice right, as right. they listen to all of this. Uh, I really just want to thank you for joining us today on uh, the podcast. I love hearing the stories from the trail, and I know the fans will be super excited to, to hear about what it was like out on the trail. So I really want to thank you again. Appreciate your time today, and uh, good luck this season, and uh, have fun out on the on the trail.
2: Well, Dan, thanks for putting these podcasts together. They're really quite great to listen to, and what you're doing with a Canadian challenge, you could tell it's just going to turn it into an even better race than it already is so yeah thanks for everything you're doing
1: well i appreciate that we're trying to get uh you know a little more out there in terms of uh you know the the people that they don't get to see all the time
2: you know you talk
1: about some of these mushers that you meet at races and get to chat with at races well now we're trying to bring the fans into the living room, so to speak, right. uh, where they can hear some of these stories. And uh, so far, the feedback has been great. I know we're really excited to try and get uh, some registrations up in terms of the race in February this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we couldn't be doing it without some of our major sponsors from Adventure Destinations, Baldwin Feeds, uh, Dog's Choice, and and we have another exciting one that might be on board here very Ooh. shortly. Uh, looking after some of our uh, vet expenses and some of that travel cost to try and continue to provide uh, the best vet care that we can from the University right. of Saskatchewan. So uh, oh, we wow. appreciate people supporting all of that as well.
2: Yeah. Well, keep working the, on it and, and we'll see you again. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I, At- Canada, Canada's best race in my mind. <laughs> in my <laughs> vast experience. <laughs>
0: Well, wow, right, you've Dan. been here <gasps>
1: twice out of three years, so yeah. uh, I'll take it. Okay. Thanks again, Mary. Appreciate it.
0: All right, Dan. Goodbye. Okay. From First Paw Media. This is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe to. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for First Paw Media.
1: The holidays start here at Fred Meyer With a variety of options to celebrate traditions old and new Whether you're making a traditional roasted turkey Or spicy turkey tacos Your go-to shrimp cocktail Or your first Cajun risotto Fred Meyer has all the freshest ingredients to embrace your traditions Fred Meyer,
0: fresh for everyone We've locked in low prices to help you save big store-wide Look for the locked-in low prices tags and enjoy extra savings throughout the store Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone